the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, February 19th, 2021. A few notes from the This Is Going to Be a Special Time file item. Reuters reports that the United States yesterday told the United Nations Security Council it was rescinding the Trump administration order that all U.N. sanctions had been reimposed on Iran in September. Richard Goldberg writes of this, and here we go. Biden just reversed U.S. policy and endorsed an Iranian enrichment program, nuclear sunsets, nuclear-capable missile testing, and Iran's import of advanced conventional weapons from Russia and China. The move raises a number of questions. Among them, why would the administration endorse an Iranian enrichment program and nuclear sunsets when Iran is concealing undeclared nuclear material, sites, and activities from the International Atomic Energy Agency in violation of its obligations under the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty? Close quote. Can we expect pallets of cash soon also? The very kind of cash we sent last time when Biden was vice president and that Secretary of State John Kerry said he could not guarantee would not end up in the hands of terrorists. Iran being the leading state sponsor of terror in the world, that upsets some of us. Iranian human rights activist Masi Alanejad just tweeted today, in one week, the Islamic Republic has, one, tortured Ben Amman Majubi to death, two, kept his body as collateral, three, hanged an already dead woman, four, prevented a female athlete from leaving Iran as her husband didn't give her permission, five, hanged 16 people. By the way, in case you didn't know who Majubi was, he was a Sufi activist, about as peaceful as an American Quaker. Item. Victor Hansen writes, quote, The height of our collective madness is the current cancel culture. Its subtexts are unearned white privilege and white supremacy. In the name of those supposed abominations, mobs tear down statues, destroy careers, censor speech, require veritable oaths, and conduct re-education training. Stranger still, those alleging white privilege are usually themselves quite wealthy, liberal, and white. These elites count on their incestuous networking, silver spoon upbringings, and their Tony degrees to leverage status, influence, and money in a way undreamed of by the white working class. Quite affluent and privileged minorities likewise join the chorus to call for everything from reparations to the reprogramming of Trump voters. The most elite in America are the most likely to damn the privilege of those who lack it. Perhaps the illogic squares the psychological circle of feeling guilty about what they never had and any intention of giving up. If, blo- if blaming those without advantages does not satisfy the unhappy liberal elite, then there is always warring against the mute, de- the mute dead, changing their eponymous name. Ep- yes, changing their eponymous names, destroying their statues, slandering their memories, and denying their achievements. The common denominator of all these absurdities an ungracious and neurotic elite whose judgment is bankrupt and whose privilege is paid for by those who don't have it. 
This prompted a listener here, Mike, to write me. He wrote, It occurred to me reading Hansen that we conservatives may be missing an opportunity to throw right privilege, white privilege back into the face of the elites. I quote, quickly wrote down some of their privileges. They are, they are not complete, but you get the point. None of them serve the words or the spirit of our Constitution, free speech, or any notion of fairness. Shut down Internet speech you do not agree with. Pressure advertisers to cancel the media programs you do not agree with. Discriminate against white and Asian people. Seek power to redistribute wealth earned by others to favored groups to gain their support. Shut down energy sources that do not meet your perceived view of our future. Encourage riots and property crimes without retribution. Talk with a single voice throughout all of the media. Dominate professorships throughout our colleges and universities. Open our borders to one and all to to compete with our citizens for jobs. Increase wages to the point that small businesses can not compete with large ones. Shut down church services and keep open big box and other favorite stores. Force sports teams to rename their teams. Force schools to close. Send jobs to foreign competitors. Occupy our capital for no good reason. Impeach private citizens. Oppose the singing of our national anthem and feel free to demonize our living as well as dead citizens. Thank you, Mike. Nicely done. Item. Chris Rufo writes, New York's Eastside Community School recently sent a letter encouraging white parents to become quote-unquote white traitors and advocate for quote-unquote white abolition. The message sent by Principal Mark Fetterman showed a graphic outlining eight stages of white identity development, from the lowest form, white supremacist, to the intermediate forms of white confessional and white traitor, to the highest form, white abolitionist. The goal of this process, according to the graphics creator, Northwestern University professor Barner Hess, is to challenge the regime of whiteness and eventually to subvert white authority and not allow whiteness to reassert itself. In the letter to the parents, Fetterman went on a tirade against white conservatives, arguing that, quote, racism and hate is often the underlying cause feeling their beliefs, close quote. He, of course, denounced former President Donald Trump as a, quote, lying, racist, sexist, classist, hateful, science-denying bully, close quote, and described Trump supporters who attended his rallies as crowds of white supremacists. Fetterman's latest outburst came as no surprise, said one parent of children, no longer at the school, the parent who requested anonymity said that Fetterman had pushed a divisive progressive line to students and families for a long time. The language in Fetterman's letter carries disturbing historic echoes. The Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazis used the term race traitor to describe whites who crossed the color line to work, marry, or associate with non-whites. The letter's use of white abolition is also troubling. Fetterman and Hess claim to want to abolish whiteness as a social and cultural construct, but they also use the term to describe an immutable racial essence. As University of New Mexico professor Jeffrey Miller has observed, quote, applied to any other group beyond whites, this would sound like a monstrous euphemism for mass extermination and cultural annihilation, close quote. Quite right. To this, I add another item from John Hinderocker. A Northern California school board discussed ways to limit the public's ability to speak at meetings and mocked parents who desperately want schools to reopen. 
They want their babysitters back. Lisa Brizendine, a trustee of Oakley Union Elementary School, told her colleagues during a pre-meeting session that they believed was not open to the public. School board member Kim Bede mentioned a negative interaction with some frustrated parents. A frustrated parent then described her own mindset. Baloney, if you're going to call me out, I'm going to, word I can't say, you up. Another member of the board theorized that parents want their kids to go back to school so they can spend the day getting high. Lovely. How ridiculous. Parents want teachers to actually do the jobs for which they are being paid. The board did not respond to reporters' requests for comment. It's interesting, though, to learn that at least one school board member considers her teachers to be babysitters. Maybe she has a point. Our public schools are so bad that if they successfully babysit kids throughout the day, they're probably average or better already. The catch, of course, is that if they are running a babysitting service, our teachers and school administrators are obviously very much overpaid. Paul Mirengroff adds, I agree with John that there is a silver lining to the pandemic here. Post-pandemic, I think public school enrollment will decline. Surely a good thing. I expect that the standing of teachers in the public's estimation will also decline. Also a good thing. Item. Dennis Prager writing in the Wall Street Journal today. Many of Russia's critics decried him as divisive. As if the left hasn't been the most divisive force in America since the Civil War. This lack of self-awareness on the part of the left is mind-numbing. Calling America systematically racist, calling every white American racist, separating college dorms and graduating exercises by race, this isn't divisive. Using the New York Times' demonstrably false 1619 project to teach America's school children that our country wasn't founded in 1776, but some other date when black slaves arrived in North America and that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. In other words, our founding wasn't about freedom and equality, but slavery. And to make that concrete, they invent and shove down our throats an entirely new and invented date. That's not divisive. Forcing high school girls to race against biological males who identify as females. That's not, a, any, that's not divisive. The Supreme Court ruling that non-denominational prayer in public schools is unconstitutional. That wasn't divisive. Yet according to the left, only when conservatives respond to such attacks on America and Americans does divisiveness enter national life. No one responded more forcefully and effectively to all this and with as large an audience as possible as Rush Limbaugh did. Hence, the hatred of the man. Well put. Finally, I conclude with a quote on my mind a lot lately. Let's make it today's show the show's ethic today, or at least its late motif. It's from William Wordsworth. What we have loved, others will love, but we must teach them how. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Eating healthy is so important for your energy, your health, your immunity. Though some of us eat more healthy than others. Regardless, you will benefit from balance of nature, which if you eat healthy already will be a huge additive. If you don't eat as healthy as you want to, will be an even huger additive because you get tens of thousands of vital nutrients from one daily dose of balance of nature. All natural vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness, reduced into vegetarian capsules using their unique cold-pressed process. I take it 
every single day. It is keeping me healthy for well over a year now. I can't commend it enough to you. They have a great special, 35% off and free shipping on any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. That's what I take. 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE either when you go to balanceofnature.com or if you call them at 800-246-8751. They make it easy for you. Open line Friday. Anything on your mind? Happy to talk about it. Anything you want to ask me? Happy to talk about it. Except legal, medical, or accounting advice. I don't know that... Um, that the shelf life of Andrew Cuomo's tenure as governor of New York is going to have a different date, but perhaps at least his credibility will. Boy, today he just doubled down and was as arrogant as could be. A dose of humility. People like an apology. The way Ted Cruz did it, I think, takes the story off. First of all, the Ted Cruz story. Let's get something straight. You have a Texas energy problem. You have a Texas heating problem. You have a Texas fuel problem. It's nothing a U.S. senator can do anything about. Nonetheless, I get the optics. I get the optics. Andrew Cuomo is the governor who has written a book and won an Emmy for his starring role in saving the country, if not just New York, from COVID, even though they have the highest number of deaths and the highest per capita death rate, and have now been revealed to have been concealing numbers when it came to perhaps his most controversial decision, which was sending ill patients into congregant centers. He is being sued by the Department of Justice Three different lawsuits have been launched. Democratic Department of Justice. A little humility would go a long way. It's not his strong suit. It's not even his weak suit. So he doubled down today saying no one has a right to tell lies about my administration. Now, the lies come evidently from his own Democratic Party's state attorney general who first blew the whistle on this at least from a, uh, an official perspective. But as far as someone having a right to tell lies about a politician, you bet they actually do have that right. He's wrong about that. David Marcus writes, somebody needs to tell Governor Andrew Cuomo that when you're in a hole, it's time to stop digging. Once again, at his Emmy award-winning press conference on Friday, Cuomo, def Cuomo deflected and denied when faced with his men mishandling of nursing homes and state data. He continued to blame something he calls a void in information. Friday, there was even a picture of the void in his PowerPoint presentation. It looked like a black hole in space, and Cuomo looked like a shaken shell of a governor. It's almost sad how the mighty have fallen. The only void at work here is one of competent leadership. Cuomo refuses to answer straightforward questions about his own attorney general's report showing he undercounted deaths. He also refuses to address an admission by his staff that the numbers were hidden on purpose. Cuomo may be living in a sci-fi fantasy land where he did nothing wrong and the Trump administration was out to get him, but increasingly other Democrats aren't buying it. 
Today, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez become the latest in a cavalcade of Cuomo's party mates to call for an end of his emergency powers and an investigation. Andrew Cuomo is a machine politician, a post-machine political era. He thinks he can just bully Democrats like Assemblyman Ron Kim. But Kim isn't backing down, and he has the backing of other Democrats in New York, like Mayor Bill de Blasio. Cuomo says he's going to take on the lies. The problem is he's the liar. He said the lies are causing the pain to families who lost a loved one. The temerity is shocking. It is next-level gaslighting. One almost can't blame Cuomo for his feverish desire to cling to emergency power. After all, an entirely credulous media treated him as the most competent COVID fighter in America for a year. Do you remember how he was featured at the Democratic Party's national convention over the summer? He could do no wrong. How cruel that suddenly the media have turned on him and are asking for actual answers instead of doing prop comedy with oversized Q-tips like his brother Chris Cuomo did with him on CNN. Jeff Zucker at CNN has finally put an end to the interviewing of his brother by Chris. Interesting, the timing of that. When things were flying high for Andrew Cuomo, let Chris Cuomo have fun with him on air. Now that things are turning bad, that's when we'll let the hammer down. Those of us who've known what was going on for a long time, like Janice Dean, knew that things were not going well for a very long time. The game is up. The only question left is how long Cuomo will continue to delude himself into thinking this will all just go away. At the very least, the governor's emergency powers do need to be stripped, like yesterday. This was true before the current scandal, but with so much evidence mounting that his administration knowingly lied, he can no longer be the only person with the keys to the state government castle. The reign of Cuomo must end now. I'll tell you what's interesting about this. 1992 is what's interesting about this. Andrew Cuomo, no doubt, had great designs on being president of the United States. That's what he wanted, just like his dad. Do you remember how his dad was planning to do it? People told his dad, run in 92. His dad said, run in 92. With George H.W. Bush flying high at 90% approval, I'm not going to run in 92. Let George H.W. Bush win his second term and I will run in 96. Well... Bill Clinton ran in 92 instead. George H.W. Bush didn't keep a 90% approval. Bill Clinton won. Cuomo's designs on the presidency were over. Well, I think it's entirely likely Andrew Cuomo didn't think Joe Biden was going to win. And he thought he'd wait for 2024. After two terms of Trump, he'd be the shoo-in, the anti-Trump the shadow president, if you will, the way the media treated him all of the last year anyway. Well, didn't work out that way. These Cuomos may get to the governor of New York, and the media may love them for a while, but that's as high as they'll go. Thank God. Thank God. Open line Friday, 602-508-0960. Anything you want. Neera Tandon is President Joe Biden's nominee for the directorship of the Office of Management and Budget. It's a Senate-confirmed position. 
And it looks like she may have a problem getting that nomination, that position, thanks to a Democratic senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. You may recall that uh, she was uh, her name was brought to more and further attention because over the last four years she tweeted some of the nastiest stuff, some of the nastiest stuff about people using language I can't even use on um, on the radio. But some of the tamer stuff was calling Mitch McConnell Moscow Mitch, Tom Cotton a fraud, Ted Cruz um, having less heart than a vampire. You may remember Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana tried to get her on uh, on record on some of this. Do you have that audio from about a week ago, John Kennedy? That, listen to her, Eric, and just answer the question, you know, just answer the question and move on. It's not like you're smarter than John Kennedy. They think they are. See, that's the thing. They think they're smarter than these guys. They're pretty smart. I, I have to tell you, I'm very disturbed about your personal comments about people. Um, you know, it's not just one or two. I think you deleted about a thousand tweets. And it wasn't just about Republicans. And I don't mind disagreements in policy. I think that's great. I love the dialectic. But the comments were personal. I mean, you call Senator Sanders everything but an ignorant. That is not that is not true. And when, when you when you said these things, did you mean them? I would have said ignorant. <laughs> Senator, I have to say, I deeply regret my comments. I understand that. But and when I you said them, did you them. mean them? I understand you've. You've taken them back, but did you mean them? I'd say the discourse over the last four years on all sides no. has been incredibly polarizing. I'm asking no. about yours. Did no. you mean them? I really feel badly about them, Senator. Did you mean them? I feel badly about them. Did you mean them when you said them? I mean, I would say social media is a is is. I've did you mean them when discourse. you said them? I feel terribly about them. Did you mean them when you said them, or were you not telling the truth? I, I, I mean, I feel badly. I look back at them. I'm, I said them. I feel badly about them. I All right, enough of her embarrassment. Paul Marengoff writes that, yes, Joe Manchin, Democrat, has announced his opposition to her based on the personal attacks on lawmakers she's been tweeting for the last four years. That means, guess what that means, folks? Tandon can only be confirmed if she gets the support from a Republican. Remember, the Senate is 50-50, and now you have a Democrat saying no. So who's inclined to vote for? Probably a Collins or a Murkowski. However, with Manchin on record as opposing this confirmation, it doesn't seem likely that the Republicans will give Tandon the support she needs. And maybe we can start cleaning up this nastiness on all sides that she claims, as if she weren't a participation in it. She just got caught up in it. This really smart person just got caught up in the nastiness because it's there on all sides, don't you know? I've never been caught up in it. It won't help that Tandon once called Susan Collins the least conservative Republican member of the Senate, the worst member of the Senate. Yeah, that won't help her. Um, Here's what Manchin wrote. I believe her overt partisan statements will have a toxic and detrimental impact on the important working relationship between members of Congress and the Management and Budget Office. For this reason, I do not support her nomination. 
As I have said before, we must take meaningful steps to end the political division and dysfunction that pervades our politics at a time of grave crisis. It is more important than ever that we chart a new course that helps address the many serious challenges facing our nation. Thank you, Joe Manchin from West Virginia. If Joe Biden meant anything about decency and restoring decency, or for that matter, unity, he wouldn't have put her up. Already asked her to withdraw her nomination when these tweets came to light. Joe Manchin seems to be the only adult in the Democratic Party, or at least the only Democrat. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You know, um, welcome back. Uh, Good communities don't just happen. They have to be nurtured, protected, kept safe by visionaries and uh, philanthropists, by business leaders, community leaders. One of my favorite, he's been one of the greatest supporters of conservative causes and communications in this town for years, is Ron Sega sponsor of many great things on this station and many other conservative uh, conservative things in this community. Ron Sega owns uh, Guns Etc. in Mesa. And I've been getting a lot of questions lately about the status of the Second Amendment, guns, guns ownership, gun supply. And I thought no one better to talk to about that than Ron Sega. Ron, happy Friday. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. You betcha. Thanks for everything you've done for not just this station, but as I said, our community, nurturing it, protecting it, helping keep us safe. I'm hearing a lot. You're hearing a lot about the gun industry right now going crazy, really. Uh, what What are you seeing on the front lines? What are you seeing from your perspective? Well, <clears throat> since March, mid-March, uh, it's just gone absolutely wacky. Um there are literally thousands and thousands of new gun buyers across the country, uh, all ages. Um, it, it's just it's just amazing that something has triggered. I don't know if it's COVID. Uh, I don't know if it was the unrest starting in the in the early spring and mm-hmm. then in through the summer. Mm-hmm. But uh, people are a little freaked out. Is supply and, uh, keeping up with that demand, that freaking out, or is it a little tougher to get everyone what they want immediately? It's it's really bad. Uh, uh, I started out having a lot of inventory in March, and I was able to get through a little bit of the rush. But now uh, the whole industry is just way, way behind. I have literally no 9mm for a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, that's obviously the the most uh, gun caliber in demand, uh, and you just can't get it. When you get it, it's a two boxes here and three boxes there. You just can't make everybody happy. So uh, we've had to take some drastic measures, and uh, whatever we get, we have to hold back for the new gun buyer. Uh, people who've been in the guns, they seem to have a little bit of inventory, so. Uh, it's okay if they don't get any, but if you're going to buy your first gun, you would sure as heck like to get your first box of ammunition with it. Uh, so we're we're holding stuff back for for those kinds of buys, gun buys. Tell me, tell me about that. The new gun owner. I'm always interested in the first time gun owner. What their average age is, male, female. It's probably a mix, but you tell me. And um, 
what kind of training do you recommend? Well, it, there is a mix. Mostly, I would say from 21 to 35 is the new gun buyer. Interesting. Uh, I'd say a good mix between men and women. Uh-huh. Uh, and the knowledge of guns is just about zero. Uh-huh. In fact, they may have been anti-gun or at the very least neutral about guns. Uh-huh. But now all of a sudden they want to have one. Uh, as far as training, uh, the first few months we couldn't keep up with the demand. It was just like buying IHOP pancakes. You mm-hmm. just give them a pancake and out the door they go. Sure. But now they're starting to come back, and they, we offer a Guns 101 where it's a introduction to guns and gun safety, and we teach them how to hold it, how to have a sight picture and pull the trigger. Our shooting simulator helps a lot with that because uh, there's no live rounds going downrange. You you use a simulator, and we could project a target up on the wall, and and all the usual things that you have to do to make your shot, you could teach without firing a live round. So we're we're doing a lot of that. Uh, USCCA, we're affiliated with them now, and. Uh, We've got a seminar this Sunday, actually, free to the public. I think it's full now, but mm-hmm. we're going to have many more of these in the future. And it's about using guns legally, uh, what you can or can't do. And it, actually, it's like an insurance policy against uh, being prosecuted uh, for using your gun inappropriately. Uh, so I, I think... There's a lot of good things coming down the line, and people just have to take the time to get an education. You just can't buy it and think that you're an expert on it. Yeah, no, it's like a it's like it's like a 16 year old with a car. No, no, no doubt, no question. Let me give out your website. People can always look up for other training classes as well. Guns etc. dot com. G u n s e t c. dot com. We're talking. To Ron Sega, Ron, there's some politics involved of all of this, in all of this, obviously too. And I'm guessing demand goes up when Democrats are elected, as Joe Biden was. You can straighten me out if I'm wrong. But what does no, four years right. of what does four years of Biden mean for the industry? Regulations, tariffs, that sort of thing. Well, just in his uh, running for office and saying what he wants to do about uh, uh, the NRA and the amount of ammunition you could have in a magazine and what he wants to call an assault gun and Mm -hmm. just all that stuff. Well, obviously there's huge demand on all that. I mean, when he talks, uh, people buy. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. And it was the same with, uh, Obama and then Nixon. Mm -hmm. So it is, uh, it's a, it's a, a good gun four years when a Democrat is in, yeah. And you just relax a little bit when the Republican is in. Uh, have to work a little harder with the Republicans and the Democrats. All you got to do is open the door. <laughs> well, you've been doing that for what, 32, 33 years now? What's your secret? Yeah, 33 years. How do you stay in business yeah. 33 years through both Democrat and Republican administrations? I guess you open the door when it's a Republican, <laughs> when it's a Democrat, and you advertise a yeah. little more when it's a Republican, huh? <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's just that simple. Yeah. I mean, and you have in between you, you have to give good 
customer service the best you can and you know uh the longevity shows it all if you if you don't do what the public wants they don't come around no matter what you're pushing of course and uh they go to your neighbor and yep. uh 33 years is a long time i can't believe that i've been doing this that long i haven't never had a job or a relationship longer than 33 years but i got that going so uh I'm pretty proud of that. Well, we're proud of you. We're proud to have you involved with us as you are. Let me give out your website one more time, gunsetc.com, G-U-N-S-E-T-C.com, right there on 29th and South Alma School Road, 2910 South Alma School Road. And you're open seven days a week, which helps, too. Ron, you're you're just great, and we we really appreciate you. Come back again uh, soon, would you? Appreciate you. I sure will. Anytime. God bless you. Thank you. You betcha. You bet. Today, Joe Biden said that he wants schools to reopen. I wonder if he knows anyone who could do something about that. Maybe suggest something about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe unleash his wife. Politicized science is not science at all, Josh Hammer writes. Most middle schoolers or high schoolers are taught when they're in school a mode of inquiry usually referred to as the scientific method. Basically, it goes along the lines of there's a problem, you research it, you form a hypothesis, you do an experiment, you collect data, you you, you perform an analysis on it, and then you draw a conclusion. This kind of um, empiricism and skepticism of of the status quo um, are, are important throughout the entire process. They're baked into the entire enterprise, questioning, constantly questioning. questioning. The purpose of the scientific method is to constantly contest and, when necessary, even disprove your own flawed, flawed hypotheses and mistaken conclusions previously deduced. A basic thought experiment is instructive. Imagine what sort of world we might have today had, I don't know, Copernicus, Galileo, and Subsequent astronomers blindly accept the erroneous belief about a geocentric universe. Um, The left may frequently and hysterically shriek that um, science is synonymous with politics, but it's not. On the contrary, any scientist worth his salt must approach his discipline with something resembling the opposite of intellectual humility. Skepticism, that is, of the legitimacy of the status quo and a desire to challenge the status quo's underlying precepts. Alas, the Democratic Party, America's would-be party of science, whose leading lights bellow, trust the science, as an authoritative command akin to the tablet bearing Moses' descent from Mount Sinai, they must have missed the memo. Whether the issue is climate change, COVID-19 mask mandates, pandemic-era school reopenings, or any other number of issues, the left browbeats its political opponents with the faux mantle of science and accuses those of us who have the temerity to ask questions as science deniers. Flat earthers, no doubt, nod with approval. But Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein, they would scowl at the left from the grave and probably approve of us. I was quoting to you from David Harsanyi of National Review writing about this 
yesterday. I'm going to have him on in just a few moments, so stick with us. You won't want to miss it. He's written some of, I think, the smartest stuff on COVID-19, and I love what he wrote about this mask madness. We're often lectured about how wearing a mask has no downside. He writes, that's a lie. Good for him. Clear thinking, clear words. Indica- indicate precisely what you mean to say. He does it, and he'll do it with us when we come back. 